Hi, everybody. Welcome to another movie podcast at Trek No Babble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we are going to do Star Trek, quote-unquote, uh, Beyond, the third of the Abrams-verse movies. Have people decided what they're going to call it now? Uh, the Kelvin timeline. That's stupid. That's just dumb. Like, the Kelvin had nothing to do with it. Shouldn't it be the Nero timeline? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, speaking of that, though, um, the the Okudas did just reissue the um, encyclopedia, which a friend of mine got me for Christmas. I haven't uh, unsealed it yet because uh, I just got it yesterday, but I'm very excited. Uh, they have apparently included up through the the Kelvin timeline, um, and it's it's not like I don't have memory alpha, but I'm excited for this because they're nerds, and I'm excited to see what they come up with. Oh yeah, I I always enjoyed both editions that I still own. Of the paper encyclopedia. Yeah, mine is going on my shelf right next to the Hamilton, and on the other side of Sondheim's Collective Lyrics. So. <laughs> no, there's something to be said for just flipping through a book. Um, because, you know, with a website, you do click on hyperlinks, and that's fine. But with a book, it's there's a bit more... It's alphabetic randomness, if you will. Yeah, and I also think, obviously, there's a bit more curation. Like, sometimes I'll land on a memory alpha page where it's like, did that need its own page? Did it? And it did not. Anyway, yeah, we're sorry. doing Star Trek Beyond, uh, the third of the Kelvin universe timeline <laughs> movies. <laughs> the disdain. <laughs> oh, I just I think the name is stupid. Um, and this is one that uh, had a horrendous, horrendous publicity campaign campaign, which made it look just stupider than usual like stupider than the previous two movies and yet it received a, a fair amount of uh positive buzz uh upon release with fanish types saying things like this one's not so bad and you know if you're a star trek fan you'll like this one right, better than right the, the, clo the closest to a tos <laughs> episode was yeah. largely how it was pitched to me uh we shall see um it's directed by a new guy. Is Stephen Lynn? Is that his name? I think so, yeah. He Who did one of the... Fast and Furious yeah. movies, which is, you know, not a, an overwhelmingly positive portent. Well, it's a, a couple of them. Look, Fast and the Furious falls in that spot of, if you like this type of movie, this is, several of them are ex very good examples of that genre, but it's a moral neutral whether or not you like that genre. Yeah, uh, and it was uh, co-written, I believe, by Simon Pegg. So they've ditched Ortsy and Kurtzman, hallelujah, hooray, uh, and Simon Pegg, who claims to be a huge, huge fan, uh, is the principal sort of screenwriter. Uh, so let's see how those things play out. Um, so Abrams is just a producer at this point. Uh, all right, well, why don't we get started, and we will... Um, reveal our deepest thoughts as we go. So I've got the Blu-ray in the player, and you should all get your media, whatever it is. If you're a DVD, welcome to the 21st century. Get rid of it. Buy a Blu-ray player. Get a Blu-ray. Come on, folks. Um, or if you're streaming, yeah, I guess. I mean, you could also drink toilet water, too, but, they're, you know, whatever. Okay. So we're all going to press play in three Two, one, press play. 
and we get our seemingly unending soup of logos. Yeah, the, the, the logos have gone too far. Like, just the rotating stars around the mountain was fine. It is now, it is now getting ridiculous. <laughs> well, and, you know, so here's like some kind of supernova or something, or just, just a star, and it's taking like, I mean, we're 35 seconds into the movie already. Sky dance, whatever the hell that is. Am I supposed to know what that is? Am I supposed to care? Am I going to walk out of the movie theater and like, sky dance? I don't, you know, Alibaba? What? Well, I assume that was their Chinese distributor. Yeah, I noticed that when I saw the Blu-ray. I saw I watched the Blu-ray a few weeks ago at a friend's place. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Huahua Media. Yeah, well, that's the big new thing. It's what's caused the kerfluffle with Doctor Strange. The the depend not just the possibility, but the dependence on the Chinese market for the movie. So over a minute of simply studio logos. And here's the Enterprise with the, why this camera angle? I'm not sure, because we're in space. I, okay, fine. So here's Chris Pine. I feel like they're digitally altering his eyes now. No, wait, he has blue eyes. Yes. They should be digitally altering his eyes, because why would Nero's incursion give him blue eyes instead of hazel? He's giving him his 3DS or PS Vita or something. So the uniforms, they have transitioned to something pretty close to yeah. the original original. No longer textured. Having just watched Rogue One, I find these aliens to be a bit in that Star Warsian valley where it's like it's so CG it's hard to take them seriously. Yeah, you know, it's, um, yeah, <laughs> what are you going to say? CG is CG, and when it's used in the wrong way, it just sticks out, right? Do you feel like he's really talking to somebody? No, like, that's the thing, like, the movements are fine if it were a video game, but I get no sense that this is an object that's the thing even good cgi hasn't quite gotten there here's our joke did they really not know that these creatures were like the size of dogs yeah also the other thing is we we've opened the last two films with kirk failing at his job as a captain you know like i get that it's it's not even really funny um i get that they're trying to be funny it just doesn't really work so far, I mean, it's just been basically a sight gag yeah. as far as what's actually a little funny. Um, they beamed him up, and there's a Kabonin or whatever. How do you feel about the new hair on Pine Kirk? Uh, you know, it's funny, because uh, Chris Pine, in his personal life, just seeing his appearances, he's dressing older. Like, he's got gray in his beard and doesn't shave it very often, and, like, it's... It, 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 it's it makes him look closer to 40 than he is. It's very strange. His, uh, his eyebrows are kind of out of control. Yeah. Well, eyebrows are back. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm not. Uh, it's a nice shot. I like the window. Yeah, views. the interiors are good. Of course, I don't like the view of the bridge through the window, but what are we going to say about that? Again, um, 
Here's a little shirtless pine for all you pine fans out there. So, theme number one of the movie. Pine Kirk is... Every time you say it, I hear Kirk unit. It's just... <laughs> Pine Kirk is feeling uh, sort of an itch, sort of a, a sense of pointlessness. Uh, everything is artificial. I won't lie. I kind of like the mug. Sure, the mug is nice. The, the mug is subtle. Um, so I get the idea that they're trying to say that three and a half... What, that's got to be, what, three and a half, almost, yeah. He said like three and a half years. Uh, in space is tedious. And I get that, and I wouldn't mind it had they spent the last two movies also in space. Yeah, so it's like we've been having a five-year mission off-screen in between right. the last movie and this one, right. and we're feeling a little down in the dumps and, and a little bit, you know, routinized about it you know it's all just ho-hum and kirk's not feeling it anymore right i like the theme generally now that shot made it look like it was kirk which was not a good idea <laughs> um i like the idea generally as for me things feel episodic <laughs> yeah we haven't seen any of those episodes right right we're getting a little bit of a Chekhov's gun kind of thing here. We're putting the thing in the thing. Yeah. Does the Enterprise ever feel like a real place to you? Not this one. Well, yeah, I mean this one. Of course, the other Enterprises yeah. feel like real places to you. This never feels like a real place. It's like there's always a new room that we need for a particular plot point. But whatever, you know, it, it's like... I don't know. I just I don't feel like it's a real place. Nice effects. Yeah, I didn't mind that warp effect. Like, oh, it's interesting and it, it, it evokes the rainbow streaking while being somewhat its own thing. I'm I'm fine with that. Like, this is the bar apparently. Um, which again is the Enterprise a real place? I don't know. Uh, they've got the reminiscent bottles of the yeah. uh, you know TOS liquor, and of course we have. Uh, McCoy here, who, you know, yet again, he's definitely the best. Yeah, he, he nails the... One of my friends points out, he's actually not that good a doctor in this in these movies, but Urban actually plays him perfectly. Well, I think the thing is, he plays him like a character. Like, he's... First of all, they're giving him enough lines yeah. to be a character. But he's playing him like a person, like a person with a real life. Yeah. You know, this is an interesting callback to George Kirk, you know, dying. And James Kirk is now older than George Kirk ever would have been. So overall, as far as character stories go, yeah. if, if you can turn off the part of your brain that says none of this has been earned yeah. oh, by yeah, the yeah, previous yeah, yeah. two movies. Yeah. You know, you're just like, it's all right. Well, it's one of those like, yeah, had... Had 80 episodes of these two actors with these two characters preceded this scene, I might care more. That's unfair because I saw Star Trek 2 before I saw much, if any, of the original series, and I certainly bought all of their interactions in a well, way. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to imagine seeing Star Trek 2 in a vacuum. But my contention, as you know, is that Star Trek 2 works better in a vacuum than these movies. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It works best with its history, but it certainly works in a vacuum. 
They, like do, I they said, do enough I on screen right. to make you care about the character. Also, here's the. It looks like they're going for notes of Star Trek Two with like Kirk on his birthday yes. questioning his place. The problem is this man is our age. Yeah. And for the he's internet, feeling old. Right. I'm sorry. He's he's under forty in a species that now lives well past the century mark. Yeah. Like really, it he. They never established that the federation. This federation is the material material utopia that uh, the prime universe is. But it's not like he couldn't just quit and be healthy enough. To go literally start over in any other field. Yeah. Well, that that's, yeah. So, I feel like they shouldn't have leaned on the birthday thing, and they should have leaned on, was this really what you wanted to do? Like, right? we're, Are you just doing this because of your, your father? father. Okay. Yorktown. Silly names. I know, it's, I know they don't have to name everything after the same things here, but naming a station Yorktown is like, ugh. That seems weird. It, you name ships after cities that way. Like... Yeah. Um... Uh, this this just looks like such like recycled Marvel cityscape. It's like this isn't. Here's the thing: none of this indicates that this is a place where people live. I will say I did enjoy the music cue. Yeah, and it it is trying. Let's be charitable. At the least, it's ambitious. Well, yeah, this sequence is trying to indicate a sort of multicultural future civilization with beauty and you know togetherness Scale, yeah. and yeah you know great technology and all that stuff it raises many many questions like why would you expend the resources building what's essentially half of a dyson sphere right why not just build like it's do like, it on a planet right or just build a big space station like like it seems like your little inverted etcher print yeah would be more work to maintain than a traditional space station. Yeah, so, you know, the first time I watched it, my initial thought was, come on. But then I was like, okay, you know what? No, they're I'm, trying, they're I'm trying. I'm going to turn off my brain, and, and I'm I, just going to go with I, it. I like seeing the Enterprise dock at things. That's sure. always fun. All right, so Spock and Uhura have broken up, which, of course, would be a good thing if, well, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but... We're going to find out later there are story reasons for it instead of, like, ethical reasons. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, I should not have been dating you when you were my student, and it was an inherent conflict of interest, and it's poisoned the well for the rest of our relationship. Uh, we've got some Spock-McCoy antagonism here. Is it like, like you, DeForest Kelly... Rose from the dead to deliver that line. Yeah, that was very nice. Like, so here are some Vulcans. <laughs> so, I guess this is as yeah. good a time as any to reference and, and discuss the gay Sulu aspect. Okay. I, I, let, me just, let me just the, let me let me preface yeah. this by saying, I like that this is a brief but effective way of dramatizing the theme previously mentioned, of sacrificing things to be on deep space duty. Yeah. Okay. Kirk mentioned that in his log. Uh, Sulu touched the picture of his daughter, presumably named Demora, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so now, briefly, they just show Sulu yeah. with his husband. Right. Okay. Now, go, Kevin. Um, it feels like, 
on some level, it's always like whatever Star Trek does going forward to have same sex care uh, relationships is always going to be too little, too late because it is. Um, it also feels like they picked Sulu to because George Takei is gay, and that feels weird. And Takei pointed out in a Facebook post that unless the narrow incursion made Sulu gay, then the Sulu in the Prime Universe who had Demora was lying. <laughs> Though I guess it was implicit. They never really said one way or the no, other. No, they didn't say he got married to yeah, a woman. It's true. It's just ugh, like it's one of those like it's one of those times where like, are you just trying to please everybody? Ugh. Um. So granting the the caveat that of course it's taken far too long. Yeah. Uh, I think they handled it well. Yeah. Because it's not an issue. Oh, no, right, right. It's just, it's just it's a just normal cute, thing. Right, right. How could this possibly be a good workspace? Oh, How can you see anything? Oh, Greg Grunberg. Yeah, there he is. It's like the, it's like the Hitchcock of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Abrams cameos. Yeah. So here's an alien-looking woman who is in distress, I guess. They're sort of illustrating how a universal translator works, which is, of course, interesting. A science mission inside the nebula, critical malfunction. I'm kind of over all the, like, jumpsuits. Yeah. It's like they're just trying to show... It's like they're giving they're making work for the costume designer, basically. And I also feel like they're going a little bit overboard on the floating holographic display thing. It's like uh, one of my, one of the like ancillary disappointments of this film is uh Agla, I think her last name is Adladashu, I could be horribly mispronouncing that, is a Persian actress of some renown. The woman has, like, gravitas dripping from her person. She has that great, like, smoky voice and just, like, it... And it's great they cast her as an animal because that's exactly the part she should be playing. They just didn't really give her anything to do. Yeah. She, she's just in that great mold of, like, Catherine Hepburn and Kate Mulgrew, like, woman absolutely at ease with her own authority, and it's just a delight to watch in other contexts. And I, I love listening to her. So it's just, I wish they had given her something a little meteor to so here we get the other one of the other plot elements here is kirk is considering leaving the enterprise this is in the third movie yeah in the midst of his five-year mission right after not graduating the academy yeah. and having basically no experience right like from what i can tell he's like four years into his career right complete you know yeah there, there is no other career prior to what we saw in the first movie and I, I'm not getting that we're supposed to take it that there was some long amount of time in between right. those movies. Seri yeah. Talk about an unearned plot point. Right. Like, if that were William Shatner in his 50s, all of that would have been much better. In fact, when it was William Shatner in his 50s, it was much... Like, Kirk... Like, the implication in motion picture that Kirk had been an admiral for some years and didn't like it made perfect sense. So yeah, there's something I oh, yeah. need to talk. We, we, about. we talked. We talked over um, 
Spock realizing that Ambassador Spock has died because, of course, Leonard Nimoy has passed away. From from a meta standpoint, nice to acknowledge the passing yeah. of Star Trek. Great. From a plot standpoint, it was like a whole minute on not a lot. Yeah, and well, so I mean, this is going to be like the putative reason for his breaking up with Uhura, I guess. So there's that shot. <laughs> I hate the design of the Enterprise. Yeah. And this exacerbates the worst aspects of it. The sort of too close, too big nacelles. I think one thing I don't get about those jumpsuits they were wearing is the gigantic zipper. And Also, why did they, like, did he, like, that's more, that's like a share level of costume changes. Like, they literally changed into different outfits. Just, just to, to walk off the ship. Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I also feel like they didn't spend enough time on the Yorktown or Yorktown. What are we supposed to call it? The or just whatever. They didn't spend enough time there for us to care about it. Yeah. You know, because later we're going to be asked to care. Right. You know, like maybe Kirk should have had a romance with an office worker. And that's why he applied to be an admiral on Yorktown. You know, like... Come to think of it, I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but that would have fit this stated theme better. You know, Kirk isn't sure this is where he wants right. to be. You know, uh, they sacrifice a lot to be out in space. And so then he meets, you know, some beautiful, intelligent person on Yorktown. And time is indicated to have passed, you know, yeah. like maybe they're re- being refit or something. Mm-hmm. And then you have a real question. Should Kirk stay or should Kirk go? And then they get this distress call. And do, do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Like, if you want to earn these plot points, spend the time on it. And I will very happily point out 20 or 30 minutes later in this movie that just could have been cut completely and replaced with character work. Right. You know? I understand that apparently Hua Media, or whatever the fuck that is, you know, wants enough mindless action to translate to the Chinese marketplace because a lot of this dialogue-heavy stuff isn't going to play there, you know, which is not to say that Chinese audiences don't want to, you yeah, know, Yeah, I was, was going to say, China, China has developed some fairly complex literature this day. I think they Yeah, <laughs> they have spoken language and things. Uh, but this is the thing in... in the movie industry right, now, right? right? It's like you need mindless action so you can localize it anywhere. I'm sick of it. I'm yeah. sick of it. It's boring. Yeah. It bores the shit out. You know? You know what doesn't bore me? Sulu's husband. Right. You know what doesn't bore me? You know, Kirk having a real character conflict. With, with like McCoy, yeah. You know? Like, okay, I have a friend in the Navy who after watching this movie points out the minute this started happening, Kirk should have ordered the ship to leave. Yeah. Quite obvious, the Enterprise. Like Spock even says, we are not equipped to handle this. Um, so we're supposed to take it that the dish there is the source of all shields. Um, now he does say, take us out of here, but yeah. Here they go, destroying themselves or something. Uh, can't engage warp drive. My biggest problem with the plot per se 
is that, uh-oh, there goes Nacelle. Let's stick a pin in destroying the Enterprise. It's going to go on for another 10 minutes. Yeah. My biggest problem with the plot, per se, is that this thing is so powerful that you don't need the later thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like if that, this thing has just destroyed the flagship right, of the they, Federation. Right, if they just showed up and did this to Yorktown, the same effect would be achieved. It, it would be more efficient. It would yeah. be better, right. you know? It, it would... It, it, was, it was like uh, when Nero needed the codes for something from Pike. Like, for what? You just you can just Vulcan. drill into a planet and destroy right, it. Right, you just destroyed Vulcan, for God's sake. So, now let's come back to the idea of destroying the Enterprise. Yet again, I guess they kept it for two movies, right? Yeah. First of all, they're destroying it 20 minutes in. On the one hand, I guess that does set up situations where your crew is now, you know, really in the shit and, you know, it's a, it's a special challenge or something. Who the hell are these guys? Can I just ask that? Yeah, I certainly don't care yet, and I don't think I'm going to. Well, look, I mean, let's just spoil it. Let's assume that, you know, you've seen the movie. These are the crawl, or crawl is the head of these guys. I think crawl's the head of the guys. You know, reserves. these are—they're like some kind of aliens from some kind of place who follow this guy crawl's orders. Well, spoiler alert: crawl is actually a former Starfleet captain. What? Okay, yeah, I don't know. It's like his genes got altered or something. Why do these people follow him at all? Who are they? Why are who are they besides vaguely threatening looking alien guys who are just supposed to read as bad guys on the screen? I don't care about them and I yeah. know nothing about them and I'm not going to know anything about them. So to me that's a problem. Yeah. There's the gigantic, gigantic shuttle bird. <laughs> Apparently the secondary hall is just shuttle bay and engineering and that's it which i guess that's fine i have the abronath <laughs> like th the movie's kind of losing me here. like how did how did they know where it was on the ship to make sure they didn't just blow up that room they've been slamming stuff into the ship it just yeah i mean how do they know the ship's not just gonna explode right you know This is a nice shot. Yeah. I like, I mean, anytime you see in windows on the Enterprise, I like the, also the cascading red alert lights. That's also a nice touch. Um, in some ways, this movie is better already yeah. than, than the previous two. Um, I have questions, but there are at least some emotional stakes that have yeah. been created. Um, You know, and splitting up the crew and having, you know, different crew members in different perilous situations is a nice, uh, you know, sort of plot device. Um, you know, it, it moves the overall story, such as it is, along in a way that's better than a lot of dry exposition.
Like, what's the rotatey thing on his shoulder? I guess it just looks cool. I guess if they have what they want, why didn't they just destroy the ship? Apparently the impulse drive was just unplugged. This is, of course, a very ambitious, uh, you know, lack or malfunction yeah. you know, of artificial gravity. You know, you don't often get to see people walking on the walls or walking on the ceilings. Uh, the effects look nice. I don't understand why this isn't being why this isn't happening on the bridge too. Yeah, <laughs> what are they falling towards? Is it just, like, centripetal acceleration or something? So they've, they've gone quiet with the sound effects to, I guess, make us feel emotions. And if this were the other movies and the Enterprise from that movie series was being destroyed in this way, I would feel emotions, right? Yeah. But I don't feel any emotions here. And I assume you don't die. No. Um, it's a it's a heck of a thing for the Enterprise to get destroyed. But I never cared about it, and it never felt real. So, oh well. That is a roomy escape pod. Yeah. I guess they're being pulled toward the planet, but you're right; it's not happening on the bridge. I, they're, I assume they have their seatbelts on. <laughs> Structural integrity is at eighteen percent. What the fuck does that mean? Your ship is in four pieces. Shouldn't it be at zero percent? It has no structure, so yeah. Like, if you're gonna borrow something from DS9 and Voyager, which were the biggest offenders with the structural integrity, yeah. especially Voyager. Yeah. Um, have it make sense. Okay, the payoff on this, I guess we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. We need Ensign Sill's help. Do okay. They, do they have air? All of that might have been interesting if it weren't a trillion jump cuts. Yeah, it, it was very, very shaky cam. Where is this? Yeah. Is this the atrium? <laughs> like, where the fuck? Is this engineering? None of these places look like anything. And let me be fair. 
could very well argue that none of the places in the original series Enterprise look like anything. But they spend time establishing what they are yeah. and talking about why they're doing what they're doing in the place they're doing it. Scotty's still in the engineering section? I have no idea where he is. Yeah, I guess so. Here's... I really wish the camera would stop shaking. What part is this? Like, is he in a torp... Is he supposed to be in a torpedo? I guess so. I guess that's a torpedo. There is some Trek food for you. Yeah. Let me elbow you in your helmeted face and have that be effective. And, and not break my elbow, yeah. And, to be fair, it's not the, it's not the worst of Trek food is in DS9, by far. <laughs> in which crew members like Kira take out Jem Hadar, you know, with punches to the, to the back of the neck or right. something. I don't understand why Crawl isn't wearing the, the armor that this guy is wearing. I also don't understand why it's so important they capture more of the, Like, it's one of those, like, what's the point of any of this? Well, yeah. So, within the plot proper right now, we don't know why the Abronoth is so important. And so, at least, hypothetically, it could be important enough to justify everything that's going on here. Um... But we will find out it's not, because, in fact, Crawl's weapons now could accomplish any of the right. things, any of his goals, whatever those goals might be. So here is saucer separation. And I, I guess planet landing with the saucer is a, a thing that we could do. Why would he shoot Sulu? Because he's a main cast member? Yeah. Get to your Kelvin pods. <sighs> what? What is that? Uh, what is that supposed to mean? Did Did they rename escape pods Kelvin pods in honor of the Kelvin? Because why? I just... Do you have anything? I, you know, I know it's funny. I, I've been sitting here and I haven't said much in the last ten minutes because there's nothing really to talk about. It, it's just this. This it's, it's just a lot of running around and shooting things, and you know, it's kind of it's kind of it. <laughs> so this shot is reminiscent of Star Trek Three and Generation. Yeah. Well, more three. I yeah, think. more three because of the the burning. Yeah. And these are different pods than the giant roomy pods. You pod. see, yeah, than like the. It, it, it's just like there's no internal sense. Right. You know? Like, nothing makes sense. And so it's hard to give a shit. 
you know? The music is okay. Yeah. I've, I've never been a fan of Michael Giacchino's, Giacchino's score. I always felt it was a little too action movie and a little, not enough majesty, grandeur. Now, the saucer section is going to actually come into play later in the plot. How did smashing through mountains not just destroy the fuck out of it? Yeah. If those spaceships could do it, I don't understand why. And its structural integrity was down yeah. 18%. I'm just, I'm just not getting it. Is this one of these drones from the last movie? Is it a torpedo? How come he needs a breath mask and no one else does? I guess it's a torpedo. And oh no, Scotty's hanging from a precipice. That, come on. Come on. Have any has it, have you ever tried hanging from a precipice from you actually, four fingers? Right, you actually can't. <laughs> it's not possible to hang by your fingertips. It's just not. When did they have time to put these jumpsuits on? <laughs> and she did too? What? It's an interesting effect, not having the lips sync up with the speech. How did he know so much about the Hunterians? Good question, given that he's from like a hundred years ago. Yeah. yeah. I'm not digging Pinekirk's hair. <laughs> I, it, it's distracting to me, frankly. Uh, I feel like they're going for Shatner-esque, but it's just not happening. Um, it just looks like a weird helmet hairdo. Like, how many people is, are working for this guy? 10,000? Yeah. 50,000? Yeah. Why do they need any of these people? You know? Why are they keeping the crew around except to, like, cause problems later? I will say it's neat to see that many extras, yeah. you know, I, the backdrop isn't the most convincing. Here's Nero's spaceship again. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I mean. No, Kevin. yeah. It's this like this big cavernous space that serves no purpose other than to be cavernous. Tons of random platforms. How do you feel about the font? Ugh, and I'm the, never really a fan. Well, in the way it sort of coalesces on screen. Well, so here's Idris Elba. If you've seen uh, Zootopia, you can actually kind of kind of feel it that this is Idris Elba. He's uh, Chief Bogo. 
why are you asking this question? Yeah, why do you care? Well, yeah, I, I agree that that's a valid question too, but this person was human. Right. Like it's just... human human for decades. Has he forgotten his humanness because of the takeover of his genetic structure? If so, why does any of the stuff from his humanness impact his motivation whatsoever? If not, why doesn't he remember that humans are predisposed to like each other right. and to try to help to each other? Commit altruistic acts, yeah. Are these ships, like, super strong? Or... Because why is it broken if it could smash through the Enterprise? I like the sulfurous rock. It's interesting looking. Yeah. So, potential source of drama. Someone is mortally wounded. Okay. And the doctor has to try to help them, except they're also in a survival situation, and so things are tricky. Right? I think that's a reasonable source of drama. Yeah. How do you feel about Zachary Quinto? I'm becoming less and less enamored of the portrayal every movie. Uh, well, they never he never really gets to be Vulcan. Yeah. That, that's the major problem is that he's like either emo or fucking psycho. Yeah. Like basically intermittently throughout the whole movie series. What did they attack us for? They do all this for some doodad that the tiny critters didn't want. I think that scene works generally. Yeah, yeah. It, it hits all the beats of your standard field medic banter. Like, Well, and Kirk's, uh, not sorry, uh, Spock McCoy, you know, sort of antagonism. One thing I feel like they keep missing on Zachary Quinto is that they don't make him up to look green enough. Yeah. Like his ears were pink there, mm. you know? A Vulcan's ear should not look pink. No part of a Vulcan should look pink. They have green blood. Yeah. And Scotty now meets a new character. He gets... Um, I think Peg does nail um, Doohan's, like, energy. Like, they're, like a kind of... Flinging himself about that Montgomery Scott did. Just, uh, I, I think he gets that. Um, so who are these people? 
again, having uh, maybe because I saw Rogue One last week, my, my brain is kid just keeps making visual comparisons. Like these aliens look very Star Warsy. You know. You know, whatever. I don't mind it because to me, it's not about the visuals as much as it's about things making sense in a world with rules. Star Wars is a fantasy, and you can have one race that just does this one thing, like all Jawas are junk dealers. Okay, fine. Is that realistic for a real race of people? No, but it's Star Wars, so that's cool. Search the stars for a death machine. They're the reason why you're here. Okay, so Crawl is destroying any ship that comes near, and they land on the planet, and so the people left over are all scraping for, you know, survival or something. I feel like there's a lot of story ideas here. <laughs> And find it odd that enough ships would actually come through this impenetrable, apparently dangerous nebula to make this a sustainable behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why isn't Crawl just out searching for the thing? So we're introduced to Jayla. Is this something that should be entertaining? I mean, the actress is okay. Yeah, she, she's she's doing her job. Um, it's more just, uh, and and I'll make the Star Wars comparison again. I feel like it's a very she's a very Star Wars character. Definitely, she has like one goal and one character trait. You know what I mean? Like her her character trait exists entirely of trauma caused by loss of crew. Her goal is revenge. Like you know, what I, like I realized just watching Rogue One. Minor spoilers. There's not a single character in the Star Wars universe who was raised by both their parents. Everyone's parents are dead. That's a rough world, I guess. Yeah, I mean, she she exists to be a badass. You know? It's like, she kicks a bunch of yeah. ass, and you're supposed to be like, yeah, go, ass kicker person on screen. But, yeah, it, like, as nice as she seems or something, I don't care. Right? Hmm... I'd like to know how these geological formations could happen. Here's a place. These symbols are the same as those depicted on the artifact taken in the attack. Was it taken from here? Well, okay, sure. Why not?
So Jayla's house. And it's the USS Franklin NX-326. When I first saw that, I remember it reminded me the only part of the prime Star Trek universe to survive is Enterprise, and that always makes me sad. <laughs> well, we'll get there. We will watch Enterprise. and uh, It has redeeming qualities. Yeah, yeah. That's, it has redeeming qualities, which can be said of it. Unlike, well... What I don't get is why it's called NX-326 or whatever. Like, like were there really 324 other experimental, experimental ships? Experimental ships, yeah. NX is supposed to be a designation for experimental ships. I to mean, be fair, the Defiant was like NX-74 or something, something. Yeah. Well, and in Enterprise, they call it the NX program, you know, which I guess is supposed to differentiate it from uh, the Federation, yeah. where things are called USS. Um, so whatever. Like, I like the idea generally because they're at least trying to tie it to real Star Trek, you know? And I do count Enterprise oh, yeah. as, as real Star Trek. Flawed Star Trek, but Flawed, real. but real. And here's Scotty's friend. Kit, Kit, What's his name? I don't know. Keenzer. I just... Well, again, it's a very Star Wars creature. Yes. If if there's any creature that's the most Star Wars of all these creatures, it's definitely Keenzer. It's like the creature that hangs around humans and does funny things. Right, yeah. You know? Like, as much as Wookiees were supposed to be interesting, or as much as Ewoks, which is Wookiee backwards, were supposed to be interesting, they really were just characters. They, who cares, you know? It's like they growl, or they, they're, they're silly, and I feel that's what Keenzer is. Yeah. And that feels very tonally inappropriate. Right. Because in Star Trek, it, it's, it's about this sort of federation of different cultures and different species and they're all intrinsically valuable and meaningful and none of them are sidekicks yeah. to anybody else Keenzer is a sidekick is he supposed to be a Starfleet officer was he like Scotty treats him like a pet yeah in all three movies you know slash lover I don't know Like, how does he do that? Like, I just, I just mean, like, if he can access the database of this super city and physically destroy an object easily, why not just go destroy it? Yeah. I... The biggest, biggest, biggest problem mm. of, of several problems in this movie is the motivation of Crawl. The motivation and the... Plan. Yeah, yeah the way Crawl carries out his apparent motivation. 
I guess we're supposed to take it that Kral wants to destroy the Yorktown. Right? Yeah. He could have easily done that many, many times over with right. his fleet of 50,000 indestructible right. ships. Like, was he supposed to use the artifact to, like, do his magic voodoo on the Yorktown? Which also, who the fuck cares? Like, But he also could have done it by just hacking their computer and, like, opening all the doors right. or something. You know? What does that mean? So, when I was watching this movie the first time, I kind of got the feeling that they were going to go for some sort of morality tale about the Federation. Yeah. And it was going to be like, Crawl is an alien from some species that was hurt by the Federation. Because of the Prime Directive, or or, or the reverse, like their attempt to be altruistic caused great harm. Yeah. So either before the Prime Directive, you know, in violation of the Prime Directive, yeah. or they didn't right. get involved in because of the Prime Directive, and so Crawl's race died or something. Right. And so Crawl feels this is all in my hypothetical thing that was not borne out by the movie. Crawl right. uh, feels that he is doing the galaxy a service. By destroying the Federation because it is morally bankrupt or corrupt, you know, right. and will only result in more death and destruction. Right, yeah, and you can make an argument that the Federation's do-gooding has had unintended consequences. Yes, and so I think that's a potentially interesting story angle. But apparently it's one that doesn't translate into Chinese. Well, <laughs> I, you know, of course there are uncomfortable, uh, you know, Tibet slash Taiwan, <laughs> you know, sort of parallels with... Well, it's, not, it's not like America doesn't have our own cultural imperialism history. Yeah. yeah. So that's an interesting story. Yeah. And the fact that she says things like that makes yeah. me kind of feel like maybe the first draft of this story was closer to that. Did yeah. have that. Yeah, I agree. I I'm annoyed that the ship is flight worthy and that a single engine is enough to lift it off. I'm just gonna say it. I feel like it should just be flipping over like a like a coin, which maybe it will. I'm not a big fan of the phasers. Yeah. That's another very Star Wars uh, thing. You know, this sort of single shot, pew pew, you know, kind of gun. And that's not something that's going to be a major criticism for me. You know, it just annoys me. Yeah. I hear you. Apparently, they can destroy the window to the bridge with a few well-placed shots of hand phasers and then smash through it with their bodies and not break all bones in their bodies. And they're not going to die right now. Right. Every single decision is about what looks cool. Like, they're... That's the thing. Like, Star Trek, I think, looks cool, but... Inside that, um, at each phase, is um, the idea that the components have to work on their own. Like there has to, like uh, pieces of Star Trek. How did they get away from something that can hold four hundred people? Okay, continue. Yeah, I'm sorry. But just yeah, everything that just happened happened to look neat. Like yeah, nothing there 
served something. It wasn't a piece of a story they were telling. It was the latest in a series of images. Here we are back in the cavern of platforms. It must be the hardest thing in the world to act in this setting, where it's just... Well, they're also not playing against real people. Yeah. Uh, the, the bad guys, except for Crawl, are CG. You can see in the sort of stilted way they walk. You think you know what sacrifice really means. Are you trying to make a point, Crawl? Oh, so look, I know where this is going. And I wish it were going in the d direction I previously elucidated. But I guess Crawl is a former Starfleet captain who is a former Mako general or something. Yeah. The Makos being the paramilitary unit of Starfleet. Established in Enterprise, yeah. Yeah. And he was pissed off because the Makos were disbanded. But then he was given a plum job in Starfleet. Oh, I thought it was just because the Federation, like, left the Franklin after it got lost. Like, they didn't find them. Okay. Well, we'll see. Yeah. And so he's like a bodily energy vampire how many different ideas are going on in this film you know it's like just make him a body energy vampire you know like, that's why he wants the orc town that would at least make a certain amount of sense <sighs> it would not be the most interesting motivation but it would be a motivation do you see what i mean he's too pink yeah like, he's got pink cheeks. I mean, especially for someone who suffered a lot of blood loss. Alright, so, Lieutenant Uhura and Spock parted ways. And he became concerned in the light of Vulcan's demise that I owed a debt to my species. You know what might have been an interesting story? A conversation. That conversation. Yeah, like to Pring. Hey, I survived Vulcan, and we're betrothed to be married. You can't be running around with human chicks. You know, come impregnate me. Though he's half human. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> is not being mentioned here. So Ambassador Spock's dead. I'm so sorry. Why? Oh, come on now. Why do you care? Why are you crying? This dialogue just... It's just like words floating in the well, it's, it's It's every generic conversation in every generic war movie ever made. 
So Spock is going to continue Ambassador Spock's work on New Vulcan. What was that work? Destroying Vulcan was still a dumb idea. I just want to put that out there. Yes, yes. At least they're following up on it. Not in very intelligent or intelligible ways, but they are following up on it. Well, yeah, like I don't know what he'd do without you or something. Like it's like you, we've never seen that. Like, they, like even Kirk and Spock have spent like what that one turbo lift ride in the same room. Yeah. Like, there's no data in the show, in the movies, to indicate that any of that means anything. And that, yeah. What would he do without you? I yeah. I don't know. Like, all they've been doing is fighting with each other for two previous movies, and now apparently they like each other, but whatever. Like, this is a whole separate outfit with boots and knee pads and a hand solo holster. Yeah. Oh, God. So we're listening to Fight the Power. This will come in later. Why does she have all these like buckles and shoulder pads? And... Like I get that they have a budget and I get that they want it to look cool, but I feel like actual Star Trek is more realistic or something. So they were trapped in amber or something? Like maybe if she spent half the time fixing the ship that she spent on creating these incredibly elaborate traps and like holographic weaponly things, <laughs> she'd just be gone by now. Uh, I get it's a turbo shaft, obviously. It just, it just, for God's sake. Oh, I don't mind the turbo shaft. I was just talking, I was grunting at the dialogue they just exchanged. So it's capable of warp four. Yeah, but the Enterprise was capable was of warp Was the first warp five, five starship. I don't know. And this is the window, and I guess it's still intact. <laughs> so it 
Correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin. Was the NX-01 a ship that had a window as a view screen, or was it just a view screen? I feel like it was a view screen, not a window. And so although I appreciate the attempt to tie this in with the Enterprise thing, I feel like it's a little bit slipshod. Well, yeah. I, you know, it just it keeps occurring to me. I've said about 200 words since this movie started. I just have very few thoughts about it because this is not a thing that invites thoughts. So we've got the shuttle pods that are featured in Enterprise and the uniforms um, with a, a more uh, pronounced insignia. And a dirt bike. <laughs> Make them stop with the off-road vehicles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Nemesis taught us nothing, it's that, you know, dune buggies and, yeah, it's just not a good idea. It, it's not tonally, it doesn't fit, okay? It just doesn't fit. And does that make me a dowdy curmudgeon? If so, you know, I'll, I'll just accept it. I'm a, I guess I'm a dowdy curmudgeon. Like, she's created a cloaking device. Does nobody notice the ship appearing and disappearing nonstop? <laughs> I don't get the static. You know, it's like, it seems like either these computers are going to work or they're not. Like, how sort of broken are they? I get that that's a visual shorthand, but I like the flip phony compute communicator. Yeah, it's a callback, yeah. Here comes some more of these chippy doodles. I always assumed my respect for you was clear. You know, off camera. <laughs> the dialogue we have had has always been... <laughs> Please don't say it. Heaven forbid you actually establish something. See, in this Warp 4 starship... Has uh, tr transporters that are, yeah, which was really problematic on Enterprise. How do you feel about the transporter effect? Uh, I've, I mean, every movie changes them up. It's like a thing. Uh, I kind of liked it. These old transporters were only ever used for cargo. Here's a callback to Star Trek Three. We wouldn't want, and also I guess Tuvix. We wouldn't want Spock and McCoy to be spliced. Hmm. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned Tuvix. It, it, it makes me think. 
it's not that other Star Treks don't engage in technobabble gimmicks or narrative shorthand in the time allotted, but it always does it with a purpose. Like, making Tuvix triggered an episode about the nature of humanity and duality. It, it ended with an ethical conversation about whether it was acceptable to essentially murder Tuvix to, to restore Tuvok and Neelix. Yeah. yeah. So, if this had made, uh, you know, a Spock-McCoy hybrid, um, it would have done it just for the sight gag and then never followed up on yeah. it. And they're like, well, let's undo that. Beep, 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 beep. You know, bye-bye, uh, mixed box. We've searched the wreckage. You must have hidden it elsewhere. How does he read any of that? Like, Crawl is really interested in Kirk's emotional state or something. <sighs> what purpose does this part of her anatomy right, serve? Right, other than to hide that thing. This is the payoff to right. Kirk needing Sill's help. So here's the thing that Crawl really needs. And this is like a theme? Unity makes us strong. Unity makes us weak. You know, Uhura here, whose hair I don't really dig, um, is opining that multiculturalism and unity, as portrayed on the Yorktown, is the strength of the Federation. And Crawl disagrees vehemently. Why? I don't know. Why does he care? I don't know. What's his beef? I don't know. He has a pile of black goo. Spock is wearing a Franklin jumpsuit, because I guess they had a bunch of jumpsuits too. So they're going to use the amulet, which was talked about briefly in a previous scene between them. This is a nice callback to Angel One, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know if they're actually Consciously calling back to Angel One. Well, I would hope not. But in Angel One, there was no platinum on this planet. Right. And they traced Ramsey and his right. group of the medallion, yeah. alpha males uh, with the pilot wings that he was wearing. Now, 
that was stupid in as much as I can't imagine any rocky planet not having devoid any. of platinum. Yeah. But <laughs> it's science-ish, yeah. you know. It's like the Viridian patch in Star Trek VI. Oh, uh, I mean that's that's worse science. Yeah. Because if it's that radiant, it should really just kill him. Yeah. I mean the whole the whole question of sensors is kind of iffy. Yeah. I mean, they're saying that this thing that he gave her is actually radioactive. You know, just not enough to hurt Uhura. But the idea of sensors, like detecting platinum. How do you detect platinum? From orbit. Yeah. Like, you would need spectroscopy. Right, you would, uh, it has to be sending out some signal yeah. that is bounced back. Or subspace, or everything exists in subspace in some way that if you scan it, you can infer what the real space item is or something. To be able to detect the platinum, like you say, you would need to be sending out some sort of radiant emission that would be probably noticeable by the person with the platinum. Yeah. Uh, And maybe fatal to them because it would have to reflect in a powerful enough way to be measured. So Kral took Jayla's family, sucked their life force out. A lot of these aliens look really similar. You know, they all have these sort of like scallopy head sort of looking things. Hers is just hair, but she looks a lot like the other alien, who also looks a lot like Kral. And it's just, I feel like they should have gone for different looks. And Manus is a second guy. Yeah, like the, the deputy Romulan. That we're supposed to care about. I do like Scotty's bomber jacket here. I kind of feel like Kirk actually hasn't gotten a ton to do character-wise. Like, he was running around in the ship, and they flipped it over and whatever. But And now he's going to ride a dirt bike for some reason. But all this talk about his emotional journey has kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah. I feel like they're trying to do too much. They're trying to give Spock a thing, and they're trying to give Kirk a thing, but now they're trying to give Jayla a thing. And Scotty's getting a lot of work here. It's a very unfocused story. And I guess this just brings back the sort of Question. And here's our dirt bikes. So clearly CGI. It's also ridiculous that that, that this is passable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I sort of don't get 
they're going to use her holographic projector Vinicky's to make lots of bikes, but how is it that nobody just doesn't notice that they're driving on things that can't be drived, driven on? Yeah. You know? Why are you telling us this? Why not just actually destroy it? How did he find out about it? I've spent lifetimes searching for it. It didn't seem like they went to a, a lot of trouble finding it. And it seems like if Crawl has access to like all communications of Starfleet, he should have been able to find this thing sooner. Okay, again, crawl. The Federation wants you to believe myths about unity and strength. Uh, are you Counselor Troy now? What is this room for? What? What does the Abernath do? Is it like a plague? Is it technological? Is it like gray goo? Like nanoprobes? Like, what did it do that he does not already do? Yeah. What is it about this small device? that is so important. And yes, again, the, the Federation has pushed frontier for centuries, but no longer. This is where the final frontier pushes back. Which might be an interesting thing to say. If, right, if we had any knowledge or context to care about any of well, yeah, so the movie proper has not given us enough to know what the fuck he's talking about. But it's also not going to, because that statement doesn't make sense to me for his character, given who and what he is. Yeah, so... We've got 45 minutes to go, and we've already devolved into dirt bike gunfight, you know? And this is pretty much the rest of the movie. Right. This is just not... Like, I'm not... Okay, I kind of am, but I am not dismissing the genre of films for which this is the modus operandi. My complaint has always been that just Star Trek is not it. This is not how Star Trek solves a problem. Finish the mission, Carl. So, like, these two guys are leftovers from the Franklin crew or something. 
And their CGI compatriots are not. Why are their CGI friends doing any of this? Okay, so Kevin, here's another potentially interesting science, actual science fiction story. Uh huh. Some race propagates itself by altering the genetic structure of people who happen by, and they become part of that race. Of course, that's a callback to Favorite Son from Voyager. Horrendous episode yeah. <laughs> with an interesting kernel of an idea. You know, yeah. it's like, what if this was the way? This is how they propagate, you know? And do you have the right to interfere with the propagation of a species that's evolved over yeah. time? You know? And so, like, the story here could be Crawl used to be human, and now he's not. How much of him is still human? How much of him is not? You know? Do the people... Do, do the... The, the race that Crawl is now a member of, is this, like, their their plot, their plan to take over the galaxy, to to use all of the people on the Yorktown to become, you know, 10 million new members of their species? And if so, do we have the right to stop them? You know, it's like, what are the ethical issues involved, you know? Apparently this transporter is now really, really working. This is like the ninth fist fight of the movie, and again, and I'm, I mean, this is actually a better movie than the other two, even so far. I mean, insofar as it hasn't like. Well, t so tell me about that. It hasn't. Tell me the reasons yet. this is. Better. It has not shat upon any established canon it is not shamelessly aping right that, that was you literally took the words out of my mouth it is not doing cheap parody of previous episodes of previous stories um it made a facial attempt at giving kirk and spock like something akin to a motivation um the special effects i mean it's one of those like they're they're well achieved for the style that they are doing. I just hate the style. Yeah, I, I would I would call the effects pretty standard 2015 special effects at this point. It's it's what you expect from a movie. Yeah. It's it's not enough to dazzle you, but there's nothing that sticks out as horrible. And I will say I did like a couple of the long shots of the Enterprise where you saw like infrastructure and decks and stuff during yeah. the attack. That could have been fun, like. Like, if, if think back to the Star Trek 2, like, when the um, when the Reliant was attacking the Enterprise. There were, like, three distinct attacks, a dozen palpable hits tops, and the damage was, like, visible and apparent. Like, it just, it layered so much. I had such a better sense of what was going on in that battle sequence than I ever do in any of these, and I don't understand why directors don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, of all the things they could have ripped off from Star Trek 2... <laughs> So now Kirk is using the amber stuff because it's on a backpack thingy on the dirt yeah. bike.
like even that line, they will leave you here. The implication, maybe that's like that seems to be the that's what I kind of interpreted the motivation as. It's that Starfleet's words don't live up to Starfleet's actions, or they're not practical in the real world. Like, because that seems to be where he goes anyway. When it turns out that he was a Starfleet officer who felt abandoned by Starfleet, where it's like. Like, so it's not that the Federation's ideals are stupid themselves, it's that the Federation doesn't practice them in reality. Maybe that could have been a story, like, like, like some... For which reason you should slaughter 10 million people. Right, it's just, none of that ever makes sense, like... And it's an action movie, folks. I, I'm happy with the lack of Captain Kirk trying to bone people. Yeah, we'll give you that. How close was this thing to being flight-worthy? Already, seriously. These old vessels were built in space. They weren't supposed to take out from atmosphere. Unlike all of our ships, right, which have been in the atmosphere in every single movie yeah. that we've done. Okay, so here's his swarm, which could destroy Yorktown all by itself. And yeah, this is like not just 50,000, this is like 100,000. He could rid it of all life. And use the base's advanced technology to attack an untold number. Or of he could just attack planets. a number, an untold number of planets. What was it about Yorktown that makes it so threatening to all those untold planets? I thought it was a space station. They've got dilithium. They've got antimatter. Like what? Right, a ship that's been sitting there for four hundred years in with the holes in it. Right. Yeah, like, this doesn't look like it's in good condition. Yeah. It's escape velocity. It's no, no, he, he's, he's... Oh, he's, sorry. They're sorry gonna, you're they're right, gonna I jumped the gun. I forgot. Oh, right, right, I forgot this bit. I stand corrected. <laughs> looks like... And hey, someone looked up science. Yeah, yeah. He's got two joysticks, which is better than one. See, they really should have kept those cloaking device thingies around. Yeah. That would come in handy. Like, it's encased in rock. You know? Like, seriously? I, I don't know what would have satisfied me more. You know, it's like maybe Crawl should have been working on the ship and it should have been super Christ. close and they should have stolen it from him. Like maybe Crawl should have still been on the Franklin and they didn't realize what it was until they saw a schematic or yeah. saw it from a distance. Yeah. 
But then, of course, why would he need it if he's got 50,000 indestructible beaches? And this is going to make it more flight-worthy? I can't believe the ship would achieve terminal velocity before hitting the ground. Yeah. So 9.8 meters per second squared. I mean, I guess they're accelerating also. Well, that should just make you hit the ground faster. Yeah. Also, do they have a path out of these incredibly jagged mountains? Yeah, this doesn't seem like a parabola that makes sense. Yeah. They're hitting mountains. That shouldn't make them more likely to yeah. be able to achieve orbit. Aren't there holes in this ship? And also, how many people are on board? Are, are we supposed to take it that all of the Enterprise crew is now on this ship? I would, I would say so. I guess the artificial gravity is working too. <laughs> God, we are nitpicky. <laughs> Why is the Yorktown here? Did they establish in dialogue that it's here? For it's like some... the frontier of the Federation, which for some good reason. Yeah, it seems like a, a large civilian epicenter probably shouldn't be on the bleeding edge of your ability to defend it. Yeah. Supervisor Grunberg. I, I'm really tired of, and this is not just these movies, I'm, I'm tired of this is really everything since the Matrix Revolutions. This thing, you know, like a sort of blob of tens of thousands of discrete objects making a shape in the sky. It just doesn't do it for me. I do like that they're referencing, you know, Enterprise Web. Weaponry. Yeah. We're barely holding together as it is. Okay. For all ships, which are apparently being piloted by individuals, must be coordinated in the way a beehive or a bee swarm is coordinated. Yeah, but that's not how bees work. Well, whatever. <laughs> bees are not centrally managed in flight. Also, Spock wanting to be on this ultra-dangerous mission right, you're right. totally belies his right. previously stated motivation. 
of wanting to preserve Vulcan heritage or something. Oh man, now what? You can't just leave us hanging on a joke like that. The fairy cyberpathic link which coordinates their actions. So what's the guy on there for? No, no, Scotty, you have to use lots of shouting and beats. EHF. Why are they not just inside the thing now? Yeah. And is that shell keeping all the air in? They're 60 seconds from breaking through. How did you calculate that? <sighs> uh, who's coordinating this one? Is it Crawl's mind? <sighs> Is it his computer? My old friend. I guess he's referring to Franklin. Isn't it more than 60 seconds when they were supposed to break through? Yeah. I feel like it has been. Now, I've been seeing online many people talk about this forthcoming scene as something that they really enjoy. Yeah, it's been like three minutes. That was a very Shatner head gesture. So are they hitting each other? Right, like it's a little, like... Also, shouldn't there just be enough random chaotic motion to destroy the Franklin? Yeah. How come they can control themselves? Right. If they can control themselves, why doesn't 
any of the people in all of these ships control themselves and just say, oh, you know what, I'm not going to ram into my nearest neighbor and kill myself. And now they're, like, shooting the girl. Is that classical music? Uh... At some point... Did they just stop calling classical music classical music? <laughs> right, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, if anything, classical music would get renamed to be to better art. So... It's just, uh... But Crawl can still control his ship. Because and punch through. Otherwise, yeah. well, I mean, they were 59.9 yeah. seconds into penetrating the Yorktown. Alright, so now we've got half an hour left of trying to stop the guy from using the thing in the thing. These are nice looking shots. Yeah. I like to call back to hull polarization, which was, of course, a pretty weak ass attempt to pretend like shields weren't a thing but still have them in Enterprise. Right. Police drive X-Wings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and use Star Wars sound effects. And this is like a force field or something with water over it? That seems unnecessarily complicated. Right. Like, everything Right. Everything here. Well, it's like what he did. Like, remember our complaints about, like, the San Francisco and London cityscapes and Into Darkness? Yeah. It's like he built a city out of that. What have these people been doing for the past half an hour? Yeah. It's like, oh no, now shit's getting real. Right. Uh, we better evacuate. They've just been like, going to the office, getting lunch. Yorktown headquarters. It looks like the Death Star. They're clearing civilians. How does he make sure Crawl heads for it? Isn't Crawl just heading for it anyway? Because the thing that he wants to put in the thing has to go in the thing which is in Yorktown headquarters for some reason. <laughs> what? Where is this? What's going on here? I just and then here we got the Franklin slamming into stuff again, but not crashing. That just it continues to nag the, the just the physics of this world. Well, you know, she's like, my ship is breaking. Well, that's really it's like, it's what's it? What's it been doing for the past hour? You know, not breaking despite smashing through mountains. And where are these people rushing to? Do they know this is a chip of good guys? 
have to imagine living in this city would give you vertigo. Yeah. I hope the gravity never malfunctions. So there's a bit of a lull here. You know, I guess the pacing is intended to give us a slight break from the nonstop frenetic action and then set up the stakes for the final showdown, which I guess this was only the penultimate showdown. And then the previous showdown was another, you know. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing as um, as the uh, as uh, Into Darkness, where it just has like three final acts. And here's the random <laughs> reveal. To Uhura of Crawl's true nature. What 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 is this video? Yeah. It's about damn time. Push the frontier. Uhura's super sensitive ears are picking up that that guy is actually Crawl. Okay, fine. And these knobs do things too. Has anyone said enhance yet? So I feel How like. How could she tell that? Yeah. What is the video? What the fuck kind of name is Balthazar Edison? Uh, what, what's the story here? You know? Why does he look human now? Well, every time he ate someone, he got closer to human, but that is still an un it's just... what, what's what, yeah, what is the etiology of this thing? He was a major in Makos. He was a soldier... Mako was disbanded when the Federation was founded. They made him a captain. What does that mean? I won't allow it. The indigenous race abandoned this planet long ago, left behind sophisticated mining equipment, yet again, and a drone workforce. Some sort of technology that prolongs life, which they left. Yeah. I'll do whatever it takes for the three survivors of the crew. The Federation don't care about us. What is his motivation? Like, what he's he's upset. Yeah, like it. I guess. Yeah, he can't be mad that the Federation didn't come find. Like you were put, you you were made a captain of a starship that goes faster than anything else goes. You only make people 
you only get maybe well maybe Nero's incursion is is an anti time invasion as well because it works backwards to the timeline to make other Starfleet career choices stupid. Where it's like, you know, the the only people we're sending to Mars are the people after careful consideration we've decided will be cool, probably never coming back. That's that's a job requirement to go to Mars, and then this part annoyed the hell out of me. How did he get here? Right, so you're telling me, like, the central, like, the center of the HVAC system is this random transparent cube suspended high above the city. It's the gravitational right. nexus. And that has no... Um, no security, no lock. Right, and no redundancies. No ability to, like, just isolate it from the system. There's a lot of safety protocols, none of which stop the crawl. Yeah. Where Balthazar Edison, we're supposed to call him that now. But, yeah, so his ship got lost, and his crew, with the exception of three survivors, were killed. And he won't allow it. What does that mean? He's going to destroy the Federation because the Federation... Okay, let's, let's see if Edison answers what happened to him. I've missed being me. Have you? We lost ourselves, but gained a purpose. See, this is why I was getting the he was upset at the disbanding of the Makos yeah. and felt that moving in a non-military direction was somehow a betrayal of humanity's highest values or something. And that's what he's trying to bring back by killing millions of people. Right, like... Like, wouldn't it make more sense for him to, like, run a false flag operation and implicate... The Romulans like the, the last movie? Right. <laughs> right. Like, I feel like all three of these stories are basically variations on a very poorly constructed theme. Yeah. Like, Star Trek VI has its issues. I enjoyed it more than you did, but that did a much better job exploring the whole, like, um, you know, uh, warriors who can't let go of the war type stuff, right? Yeah. What war? Yeah, so he mentions the Zindi and the Romulans, none of which has been established in any of these movies whatsoever. Anybody who is a fan of the Abramsverse or the Kelvin universe, whatever the fuck they're calling it, is like, what? What's a Zindi? Who cares? What does this dialogue mean? You won the war. You gave us peace. So he's just, he's, he just wants violence? He's a psychologically unstable, violent asshole? Yeah. So why was he given a ship? A ship, yeah, just, uh... Like, was this a bureaucratic mistake? Yeah. Why are there ladders on top of this building to get you to the thing that could kill everybody? And if this is what's happening to people on the outside of the building, shouldn't it be happening inside the building? Well, 
I mean, this is like the tippy top of the building, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Look, yeah, this is just one of those cities that looks cool in a map painting, but doesn't bear scrutiny when you think about people actually trying to live there. Also, why didn't you just, like, like, if that's, like, wouldn't that spread eventually anyway? Why not just activate it and chuck it in the air? Like, why does it have to be in the central point? Yeah. It seemed to be pretty amorphous and fluid in an oxygenated atmosphere anyway. My, my thing is, is if this is the gravitational nexus of the station, it should just, like, stay there and not go anywhere. Yeah. No? Yeah. Because... They're floating there. Right. That means that all the gravity is going right. toward that point, not away from that point. Right. I, I don't know. This is why I'm saying it's, it's you know, he's got to put the thing in the other thing because he's told us that that will kill everybody for whatever reason that we don't understand. Yeah, so, like, I guess there's a fan, which, I mean... So dumb. They, they could have had a fight over the fan. Right. <laughs> but I guess they wanted to show off their CGI chops. Why does this thing exist except to kill everybody? Right. Like, you've designed the world's worst HVAC guys. <laughs> I feel like I'm watching Galaxy Quest. Like when Sigourney Weaver is running through the charm, yeah. I was like, why is this even why is here? This, here? Yeah. this isn't funny. And now he sees his semi-human face. Why isn't it like eating him? Hey, at, at least, at least it didn't turn him into, like, a supervillain. Where was he supposed to exit the chamber to? <sighs> like, what is this vent for? Like, well, why it's... isn't the door closing? Oh, good. Spock and McCoy saved the day. Now all three guys are together the way they should be, although haven't been for any of the prior 2.8 yeah. movies. The music is emotional. What would I do without you, Spock? Uh. See, now it is eating him. Why was it eating him? Well, it was just, you know, dramatic. Well, it didn't eat the metal. Right, though. but it ate his clothes. It ate all the clothes, but not the metal. Case closed. Whose workspace looks like this? Like, or do you walk forward through all the other files? For decades, the Federation taught that he was a hero.
So, Kevin, yeah, uh, you have mentioned, and I agree, of course, because we've been through TOS, yeah. that the failed or corrupt or bad captain story is a vital yeah, totally. uh, genre within Star Trek. Um, I was talking about this with a friend yesterday. Um, there was the one with the Yanks and the Cons, and that was not them. I mean, it was, it was he, he tried. Um, but stuff like, you know, uh, Gar- Machine? Garth of Izar. Oh, yeah, Garth. Um, yeah, Doomsday Machine. Even later, like, uh, my issues, my other issues with the episode aside. Patterns, of course. Um, but even later in the series, you get, um, you know, Leighton in Paradise Lost and Homefront. You get Sa- uh, Savage, Ransom, not Savage, Captain, Ransom. Captain Ransom. On, yeah. on the Equinox. Like, it's, but the, the the thing is there, like, particularly for the examples of um, Leighton and Ransom, the show had done its job to establish what Star- what Starfleet meant. So having a captain break its ideals felt like something, like, especially Leighton. Yeah, like Leighton was such a great villain because he wasn't evil. He wasn't seeking to harm. From his own perspective, he was actively saving the world. His actions were reprehensible by our standards, but that's what makes it interesting. Uh, don't show me real Star Trek. Oh yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. First of all, did Spock carry around a picture with him in his it's ship to awful, go through time? Awfully sentimental of it. I you know, I can almost buy it. I can almost buy it. But, but yeah, giving it to us in this movie just draws attention to the fact that none of this looks or feels or acts like real Star Trek. You know, like like even something, even like that last scene in six, the last moment when they do the signatures on the screen, that felt like something. I still get a little like oh yeah, verklempt. Absolutely. When it's like like it, it just felt like there was something there, and everything here feel like. Ugh. Leather jacket. Ugh, God. Um, so why is Kirk now gung ho again? Yeah, what about this experience would make you want to stay on this job? So I think they've inserted uh, what's-his-face Chekhov into the image here with CG. So now they're back together, I guess. Simon Pegg's civilian wear has always kind of tickled me um, in these movies. Like, I feel... Captain, who shouldn't be a captain, pulled a few strings to get you in a Starfleet Academy, which he never graduated and shouldn't have any pull in. Yeah. Yeah. And look, one of the... He's a pet now? Yeah, it's just doesn't. Maybe it's just Zachary Kento's physicality in the late. Maybe the, like it was a little better in the first movie, but there's a gauntness to the TOS Vulcan 
that was certainly exemplified by Nimoy and uh, Mark this, Lennard. This outfit actually kind of makes him look a little bit chunky. Um, the, the shots earlier with Uhura on screen, he, he was yeah. not as felt. And hey, you know, alternate timeline, maybe he eats more because yeah. Vulcan got destroyed. But yes, what about this movie has made Kirk want to be a captain more? So this montage is cool looking. Um, but still unearned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and talk about not earning things. I mean, it's like they're fast forwarding through the construction of the Enterprise. It's like... Uh, NCC 1709. But no apparent other redesign, you know? It, I think it is slightly different. Uh, Still hate the nacelles. Oh, yeah. The, the nacelles are actually even further back on the pylons. It just... Um, so I like it less on my second viewing. Um, I still... It, it's I didn't like it that much on my first viewing. Here's the thing. I'm never. I'm not outraged. We, like I didn't yell once. Like I think if you if you go back to our pod, like we never officially formally podcasted into darkness because we agreed we would never watch it again. Like our podcast for that was literally. I went back to it once. It's literally the two of us shouting for two hours. <laughs> like I went on this rant about when he broke Marcus's leg and all this other. Like I was angry. I'm not angry. I'm just kind of. Well, that was two and a half hours of my life. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, it's only two hours, but it feels like two and a half. Um, all right. So, writing. There seems to be an attempt to create four or five different thematic elements. Yeah. Yeah. They should have pared it down to one, maybe two. Yeah. Um, and actually followed through and made them make sense. Yeah. But that's at least an attempt to create thematic elements. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, like I said, like... If nothing else, folks, I am an easy grader. All of my students know this about me. I try to give you the benefit of the doubt. Well, like, yeah, on, on some basic stuff like uh, friendship among the crew, uh Wondering about your career choices. Those are things Star Trek has explored before, and credibly. A lot of, okay, a lot of this was watching the crew work together to solve a problem. I mean, a lot of that was there. Um, it's just, uh... I think that the, the reason that the movie fell apart on first viewing for me, after about halfway, was that the villain made no, no sense. sense. No sense at all. And so... He's the whole straw that sort of stirs the plot drink of the story for the rest of the movie, and it's just like, why is he doing these things? What, why is he saying? What these is things? he even doing? Like, it's it just never clear in any way. So, it's, uh, it's, yeah, you know, it's problematic in normal movie ways. Like, it just doesn't hang together. Right. It's not problematic in that it, it it shits upon Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hell, this had the most real Star Trek of any of the three, in that there was a picture of it. <laughs> That's true. Um, <sighs> I mean, it's just. It, a, what if this had been the first movie? I would have been. 
I think I actually would have been pretty generous. I, I've said from the beginning, I remain flabbergasted um, by how good the actors were at um, portraying these characters that I thought were, like, unreplicable in any meaningful sense. Um, and they did a good job. I would have still had problems with the design choices, but I do, I do ask myself, are my problems with the design choices exacerbated because I hated the plot so much? Like if, if, the, if it were a plot I liked more, would I be more charitable in analyzing the design choices? Um, but yeah, if this were the first movie, I would have said you're at least, I would have said it doesn't actively shit on anything. It is at least attempting the themes Star Trek and Star Trek movies in particular have reached for. Otherwise, it's a fairly standard action movie, which we already knew. Yeah, I mean, so I would have preferred this to either of the previous movies. Um, obviously, the first movie was doing a lot of, you know, sort of like character setup work for people who have never heard of Star Trek or something. Um <sighs> a mess it's a mess yeah it's story-wise it's, it's a, a mess me- yeah none, none of it hangs together character-wise they don't follow through on any of the potentially interesting that they, that they, they set up at the start of the movie yeah acting wise did anything did anybody stand out i mean so obviously idris elba was a complete waste right you you <laughs> marine Sirtis has this joke about how uh, she did her own stunt for uh, power play, but the camera shot was so long that it could have been Michael Dorn in her wig. It could have been Marina Sirtis. Yeah. And for all of the actual Idris Elba we got. And Idris Elba's a good actor. Like, it, that's what kills me. It's like, were you hiring him just for the name recognition? Did you think, like, what? No. Yeah, what did he bring to the part? Like, you know, I don't think he ever got to act once. None of that was him. Uh, so Carl Urban is, you know, the... The best of the bunch. Yeah. Um, I like Simon Pegg Scotty. Simon Pegg Scotty was better this time around. It get, well, just... It, it, he he never, was doing more Scotty things. Right. He never just had to sit around drinking. Um, which Scotty's done, to be fair. Um, I, my biggest problem, oddly enough... Uh, actually, I even like John Cho this time, when he was, like, piloting the Franklin or sitting at the... Con- like, taking the bridge and the scene. Like, when they gave him something to do, I think John Cho can deliver. I liked his little moment with his family. Mm-hmm. All, of, all of that hung together. The, the actor that I found the least satisfying in terms of their character, oddly enough, over the last three, like looking at them collectively, is Uhura. I think Zoe Saldana is a good actress. I've seen her in other stuff that I really liked, but I just don't think she... Uh, I was talking about this with another friend of mine. Um, like, if you picture Uhura's job not simply as hearing a message and repeating it out loud, but something much closer to, like, a World War II-style radio operator, your job is not just to hear a thing it's to pick out the thing in the soup and relay it effectively and she does that with this powerful serenity like that her presence on the bridge is always just like soothing almost and i it's something i like about michelle nichols performance just this like self-possessed confidence and quiet about her job and i don't think zoe saldana ever quite achieves that kind of radiance well i mean not that the script ever gives that to her let me put it this way. Do you know where anybody sits on the bridge? <laughs> I, I mean that very seriously. No, Because yeah. there is a total rootlessness to all of the production and all of the, you know, it's like 
to have Michelle Nichols be a presence, you have to know where she is. You know, the brilliance of the design of the TOS bridge was that you could basically have a, a static camera shot that showed everybody yeah. in their spot and you always knew where they were. Here, it's just like, it's fucking, you know, reflection soup in your face and you just, I don't really know where she sits. Is yeah. she behind the captain? Kind of behind Is she to the left? Yeah. Is yeah. she to the right? You know. Is she behind, like, four glass panels or two glass panels? It's just, yeah. So the actors that did the least for me were Zoe Saldana and Zachary Quinto. Um, I, I just don't buy Emo Spock. Yeah. I, I've never bought it. And and uh, I, I have to say, um, it's sad to talk about now, but I actually like I, I liked Anton Yelchin's performance probably best in this one since it involved the least amount of him running around. Yeah, I agree with that. His, yeah, definitely. He got actual dialogue and, you know, played well off of Chris Pine, who was decent. Yeah. Um, production values, way too busy. Yeah. It's way a, too busy. I try to, and I always try to look at this, it's like, like if I looked at like a, you know, 1920s, you know, Nickelodeon film, and I and I criticize its production values. Is it you know? Am I really criticizing it, or am I really just not of this time and not this audience? And I have to ask myself like, there's plenty in Prime Star Trek that it was cheesy at the time and is cheesy now. So I always have to. I, I always ask myself, is it just that I am not like I was not a child when this one came out, so I'm not going to have the affection for it that I do. Like if if Next Gen premiered today, would I go? Ugh, God, it looks like a dentist waiting room. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I, I, I do try to make those analyses to be a, you know, to have. Then I remind myself I put more effort into criticizing the movie than they did into making it. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the visual sense is extremely busy. The choreography of fights, the shaking of the camera, it's it's basically a giant action movie cliche. Yeah, yes. Um, it's like every beat was exactly some predictable, like it, it just, and it's not that Star Trek never told a by the number of story, but even like I said, the, the point with Tuvix I think holds. It's like when Star Trek tends, like the Heisenberg compensator is a cheat, but it's a thoughtful cheat. It's a cheat that indicates they understand to cheat and why they need to cheat to tell their story in an expedited manner. Like, it, it shows, it, it doesn't, it, it, sure, it just handily gets past a scientific problem, but it does so in a way that respects the problem's importance. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, if that's a, if that makes any sense. And we're just like, I don't mind shortcuts. Hell, I love Rascals. It's easily in my top 50. Like, in a personal sense, not any type of quality sense. But, one, like, because once they did the dumb thing at the top of the episode... And the dumb thing at the end of the episode, like with the Ferengi, but like yeah. the the middle part of that episode was real character work. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. The, real the, acting, the, like hard stuff, the, the Guinan stuff, the the O'Brien, all, all four yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah, all four of them. Uh, no, so overall, you know, when I was when I first watched it, I I, I was almost kind of willing to say it was a three. No, it's a, yeah, I I like, and it's. It's this. Cl I would say it's this close to a three. If they had dropped any motorcycle 
for if they had exchanged one motorcycle scene for one scene of real character work. Yeah, there, but there was literally like an hour of pointless action that could have been dispensed with in about ten minutes. You know. Yeah. And so they really whiffed on these potentially interesting character threads and story themes that they set up in the first third to the first half of the movie. And so I, I, I'm going to call it a two, which, yeah. which is the best so light years ahead yeah. of the other two movies. Yeah. Which this is offensively horrible. Yeah. I agree with the two and that makes a four. And what did we give final frontier? We gave that, we a, gave four. that a four and that was the lowest to date. Right. Yeah. Cause I think otherwise lowest we've given is a seven. Right? Did we get we because we split on uh in Undiscovered Country? We gave we we gave Motion Picture an eight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe, I mean, I we we I was in a post TOS glow. I might have given that. A, yeah. I might have gone for a seven. We we, we were coming again. off of TOS, and that that informs yeah. the way you think. Oh, and so we far. were when we were talking through all the boring parts. So, <laughs> um, um, yeah. Then two was a ten. Three was an eight. Four was a ten. Five was a four, six was a seven, and then I think we did. Was Generations a six? Did we actually give that a six, or was that an eight? I think we gave it an eight. Yeah, because again, action. Um, hey, it's a good movie with a few flaws. Yeah, it's not a bad movie, movie with, with a few, few good, good things. Absolutely, and that, I will. I, I I would I would say that to anyone who criticizes Generations. So yeah, this this hey this is this is not the worst. Do you think it's uh, better or worse than Final Frontier? Yeah. It is boring in a different way. Star, Star Trek, I think Final yeah. Frontier is better. Um, I th I Mainly think, on inertia. I think Final Frontier does a more effective job of having the main three interact. But again, that might just be a result of they've done that for so long. Yeah. Um, I would say, ultimately, Final Frontier is boring by its absence of, of elements and story. This was boring through a cacophony. Like, it was just... I agree with that. It's, it's, it was a real missed opportunity. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I, I think based on this movie's performance and, of course, the uh, sad passing of Anton Yelchin, this probably will be the last one, right? I, I haven't heard tell of a new one, right? Uh, I, I thought I saw that it was at least a potential thing, um, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully not. Sorry, guys. I don't want to watch any more movies with, you know, Chris Pine and Carl Urban and like, I'm done with you. I was done with you the first movie, but hopefully this has run its course. We'll see what happens with the new show that I guess no one in the United States will watch because... No one's going to pay... It's not on Netflix. Right, no one's going to pay six bucks to watch it on CBS All Access. Um, uh, they, really should, they really should just make it a Netflix show. It is a Netflix show. Everywhere, everywhere else, else I yeah. know. Ugh. Which is the perfect delivery platform. For the people who want to watch it, now, yeah, you know, uh, I I, I want to get Les Moonves in a room and just beat him with a rubber hose for half an hour. <laughs> Bag of oranges or something, yeah. <laughs> Own book, you know. <laughs> yeah, it it's it's the least offensive of a misbegotten franchise reboot. Yeah, yeah, it just it. The, for all, like, if nothing else, the thesis of the need for a reboot was that Prime Star Trek had run out of stories. And I will, I will even grant that that is a little true. By the end of Voyager, by the end of Enterprise, it was clear that group of people were out of gas. 
Yeah. They at least needed a couple of years off. And I certainly understand that by the end of the Voyager DS9 era timeline, so many stories had been told about such a cluster of people that whatever story you came up with, it would probably have been done before and you were going to run into problems of not, not having this question already answered. So that's a reason to jump ahead or jump left, do something really different. Um, but if, for, for all of the wiping clean the slate, you either were we were either bogged down to old Spock still hanging out or just didn't do anything. Yeah. That, 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 I, I would have been fine. Like I, I don't tend to think of Star Trek the way I think of comic books where every 10 years they just start over. And it's fine. And I don't care. Or I do care if it's good, but I don't care that they do it. Star Trek really isn't that. I don't see Star Trek as infinitely rebootable like a Spider-Man. It doesn't need it. Yeah. Um, but the universe is big enough it, to just tell a different story in a different place in a, a different, different time. time. And I'll, But I'll be honest. If you did, like we've been saying, like you can do a dumb thing. And then if you do something interesting with it, we'll let it go. If the reboot were over our objection, but ultimately a successful, interesting, nuanced, mature film, we probably would have been, okay, okay, reboot's fine. Like, I would not hate a good movie merely because it was a reboot. I agree. But I'm certainly more angry that you did a reboot and then then just sat the bed for so long. Yeah, I hate the reboot because they made bad movies. Yeah. Not because they rebooted it. Right. James Bond was a terrific reboot, you know? Yeah. The, the what's his name, new guy. Uh, yeah, the Daniel Craig James Bond. Terrific reboot. And they did everything that these Star Trek people, I, I don't want to call them that, everything that these Abrams people were saying they were going to do. We're going to start from the beginning, we're going to do it fresh, we're going to tell how the characters got together, you know, and we're going to tell new stories. And so they told how the characters got together and told two really bad stories and one eh, story that made no sense. You know, it. what was the point of that? I mean, we know what the point was. The point was just to sell tickets yeah. to make money for Paramount. Yeah. And the people in charge don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, they view it as generic content that can be repackaged in various ways. They don't care about it. They don't love it. You know, the people who inherited Star Trek in the 80s and the 90s loved it. Right. Well, you, in you, part because Roddenberry was there for some of it, but in part because they just loved yeah, it. Yeah, like, like it, you know, one of the criticisms, like the, the compliment and criticism of Deep Space Nine is it's so different from the source material. But I don't think you could tag more or bear with not loving the source material and respecting it. Like, whatever work they did, they did as like a careful study and inflection of the source material. It was not because they thought they could do the source material better or didn't care about honoring it. Like, Deep Space Nine only works if next-gen and TOS work. Yeah, and they didn't change anything about the prior source material. Right. They just said, here's an opportunity to tell stories about the same cultures from a slightly different angle. Right, you know? and, and Deep Space Nine, I think, proves that point, where it's just like, you, you set it in a different place, you make a different focus, and you can flex the story in an interesting way. So, Star Trek, quote-unquote... Beyond. Also, the lack of colons for subtitles was really starting to work my last nerve. I know it's a tiny thing, but <laughs> it annoyed me. Um, what was this Beyond? I, I, I don't understand the name of the movie. I guess I kind of understand Into Darkness, because it was like bad guys and stuff. <laughs> 
it was dark, their people were getting hurt or something. But what does beyond mean in this context? What are they progressing beyond? What are they surpassing? I, I don't know. Um, Star Trek Beyond, a, a, a mess, a maelstrom, you know, a, a, a flurry of detritus that had maybe from Simon Pegg's influence, you know, a few interesting yeah. themes that and, failed to coalesce into anything. Right, you can, you can, t I, I would love to see like a, like a cliff note version or like a red line version between what he submitted and what the finished product oh, yeah. was. I want to see, tr I want to track changes on this one, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a four. The best of <laughs> this bunch. <laughs> I want, I want them to take that out of context and put it on the advertising material. The best Abrams movie. Check the Bible that <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, live long and prosper. Star Trek, hopefully in a tonally appropriate and coherent future iteration with Star Trek Discovery. Uh, you know, thank goodness this era, cross our fingers, is over and we can move beyond it. Um, <laughs> live long and prosper. Have a good night, everyone.